Coming up on today's show, we discuss the perils of handcuffing your wife to the bed. We discuss our favourite murders in film. And we do a movie review of the film IT, or IT, as the kids are calling it. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to Talk Filmy to Me podcast. We are up to episode Ocean's Eleven. My name's Adam Flint. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Flint. Join me in the pod today. I've only got the one and only John Descamento. Hello, yes, you can find me at Descamento on Twitter. It's been a while since the, the last couple of podcasts, really. Have you noticed that the iOS update has completely changed the way the podcast app actually like displays stuff? Um, no, because I have an Android, but that's we cover all the bases. Well, right? yeah, that's yeah, we cover all. We, we're we're the <laughs> vanilla of podcasts. We like to cover it all. But um, I've noticed that the way you subscribe is slightly different now. So it mm. used to be just click on the top right hand button to subscribe. Mm-hmm. Now you have to go through a couple of steps to be able to subscribe. It's not, you know, you'll figure it out. But I'm just thinking the billions of podcasts that are out there where people have pre-recorded the method of how to subscribe, they must be sitting there going. I've got to go back and change all of them. <laughs> Why have they made it harder? We need all the subscribers we can get. Maybe they want to have their own platform to... I don't really know why they made that decision, to be honest. But um, but yeah, I'm not really liking the new updates. It's also draining your battery life. Oh, I hate when they do that. Anyway, enough of battery life. Should we kick on with news? Yes. News. Cool. Before we start with the news, we're going to be a bit... not. I don't want to say controversial... But um, over the news over the last couple of uh, days, the CEO slash founder of Screen Junkies, for those of you who don't know what that is, Screen Junkies is a, a media outlet in America, which is kind of like the, the granddaddy of, of most podcast networks. Uh, their, their creator, I think his name's Andy Signor, has been, um, been suspended on multiple grounds of accusations of, um, of, of basically harassment, sexual harassment in the workplace. Now, the reason why I bring this up is... I actually know a few individuals who work in that organisation. In fact, I, I I aspire to them. They they make podcasts that, that me and John hope to emulate. And I've reached out to them when we first set up this podcast asking for advice and they gave us some really good feedback. So for those people, I just want to completely condemn uh, Screen Junkies and I encourage you to unsubscribe and don't listen to their network until... Andy has been uh, been dealt with properly. And not just him, the actual HR system that allowed him to operate in that way for so long. Um, that's all I've really got to say about the matter. But um, in support for the staff of Screen Junkies, well done for coming forward. And hopefully, you know, it will be a lesson for other organisations to not let sleazeballs stick around and do what they do. Yeah, you're welcome to change it up a bit and subscribe to our podcast, of course. There's no sexual harassment that goes on here, apart from the odd cuddle but <laughs> i mean i wouldn't class it as harassment maybe you would but so in short unsubscribe from screen junkies and subscribe to this podcast um so anyway news speaking about twitter and and ruptures and things like that tyrese i can't remember his name the guy in the fast and furious franchise the r&b singer um <laughs> looking at john's like yes I, I i know this stuff all the time he's had a public spat with the rock on twitter because the company that makes the fast and furious movies has decided to postpone fast and furious 9 until 2020 reason why is because the rock is so goddamn busy he uh is not available for the next two years and really? uh, 
yeah, and this I'm actually sorry it wasn't Twitter, it was Instagram, this this big mm. warp because that's where real men duke it out. Yeah, yeah. Should we take this outside? Let's go, you know, have it out on Instagram. <laughs> uh, basically saying, Well done, Rock. You've managed to turn the whole franchise and make it all about you. What about the family? Because the Fast and Furious franchise movies are all about family, <laughs> as they emphasize in every movie. But to be honest, what can't be sold by having a barbecue? Because that's, I think, that's the kind of the the motto of every Fast and Furious Even film. Even if you got beef with The Rock, surely you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to take on him. Come on, I'm not going to win this battle. You're right. I mean, you've right. got some balls. Fair play to you, but it's not going to end well, is it? So anyway, I suppose the news in that is that Fast and Furious has been put back till 2020. Ironically, The Rock's character has also been announced as having a spin-off movie, so just to r- rub wow. salt into the wounds of... I can imagine it's just because this actor isn't getting much work, so like he knows that every 18 months or so the phone will ring and it's like, oh, I get to do Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what the cast of Game of Thrones is going to be doing in a couple of years' time. Back to Hollyoaks, mate. On the <laughs> bill. Um, no, I mean... I've said for a long time I I want the rock to branch out though. He's got he's capable of doing other things and more interesting things as we've seen in the past. So he's not infallible, right though, because Baywatch stunk, right? He yeah. he everyone came out but the thing not is though, if you watched it without the sound, Flint. Oh, so yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> I need to remember that. Mute buttons, people. But um what I find quite interesting is that the days of Hollywood of having guaranteed box office bank you know, and what that's kind of a, what I mean by that is actors that you can put in your film and you know just by having their name in the film it's going to do 100 million, 200 million in box office just by that name alone. In fact, I think even PricewaterhouseCoopers, the research company for uh, financial statistics, they actually come up with algorithms of how much an actor can add to a box office. This is really important because when it comes to contract negotiations, that's how they, that's how they, they, they bring their stats to the table. Mm. And um, it used to just be like Tom Cruise was a prime example and Tom Hanks. In fact, anyone with Tom in somehow would always do really, really well, especially Tom Hanks. Like he, It was only until a few years ago that he actually started being in films that didn't do really well in the box office. Mm. And I think the days of just sticking a character and they're going to do really well, they're kind of dying. But I think The Rock does fall into that category of if you stick him in the film, he's going to be pretty... Yeah, he's going to draw in big box office. Hmm, sure. So anyway, next up, did you ever see Pacific Rim? No. No, awesome movie directed by... Oh, I can't pronounce his name. I always get it wrong. Uh, Gerino Del Toro. Um, it's got... had Idris Elba in it as well as Charlie from Sons of Anarchy. Really good monster movie. It's a homage to... Um, oh, what are they called? Jaeger movies about, you know, big monsters destroying cities. Uh, the sequel for that comes out very soon. The trailer premiered the other day. I don't think Del Toro's attached to this, which always upsets me when he's not attached to projects. Hellboy. <coughs> um, but the trailer looks quite interesting. The only thing, though, is that have a chance to look at this trailer it's the worst use of blending hip-hop with musical overtones right the soundtrack sounds absolutely god-awful so they've taken this big amazing orchestral the apocalypse is coming music and they've overlaid a two-pack song and the two-pack song actually was wasn't even a two-pack song it was pre-edited together long after his death do you remember um django unchained Mm mm-hmm you know that scene where Jamie Foxx's character pulls out the guns and you hear that song with Tupac mixed with James Brown? Yeah. They've took snippets of that and overlaid it across this big epic background and it sounds 
god awful. When you have a chance, listen to the pod. Uh, not or listen to this podcast, obviously, but listen to that trailer because there's some interesting bits. But you actually, it's so bad, it's laughable. Oh, the, the music. This, that sort of thing makes me very sad because that used to be my day job, making <laughs> mashups for DJ Hero. So hearing a bad mashup, especially when it's in a huge movie or something, is very upsetting. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like something I would produce. To be honest, it's it's it's, it's absolutely rubbish. But um, anyway, speaking of something that's not rubbish, we mentioned. Oh God, in our first podcast, John, back in episode one. That Joe Cornish is uh, coming up with a new project, and anyway, he announced the the synopsis and title and some of the cast members for this film. So I'm not sure how um, excited I am about this now. I've heard all the details, but the title of the film is called "The Kid Who Would Be King." It's going to be a modern adaptation of the King Arthur story, and Patrick Stewart and Rebecca Ferguson has been attached to the script. Rebecca Ferguson, not the X Factor no. finalist, the actor. Um, look her up. What's she's she been in? Uh, look her up look her up yeah yeah it's almost like there's an internet out there for these sort of things but um anyway they've been attached to the project that's all i've really got to say about it and i'm really looking forward to i thought attack the block which was written by joe cornish was uh absolutely fantastic actually and it launched um john Baega's career yeah you know now he's a star wars guy but also a lot of the you always know something's really good when Obviously, the film's really enjoyable, but the legacy is that it launches a bunch of careers. Now, yeah. obviously, John Boyega's probably the, the rising star out of that lot, but the other cast did go on to do some pretty amazing things. A lot of them in American TV now. Um, I can't remember the name of, of one of the characters, but he's gone on to be in the CW networks of mo- of TV shows. So they make stuff like Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. And they've, they've all gone on to amazing things, and that's down to... The story put together by Joe Cornish, and also a really low budget. Like I think it was made for a, a peanuts amount compared to to most modern movies. Anyway, yeah. what's your what's your take on this, John? I I've got time for any Joe Cornish movie because he's just someone who thinks outside of the box. At the very least, you know you're going to see something interesting or innovative, and that's what film needs, even if it's made for peanuts or. You know, so I want to, I want these filmmakers and writers to be trying out stuff, and and you can rely on Joe Cornish as one of them who will, at, at the very least, try something interesting and new, and at the best, at the most, uh, you know, will make a great movie. I like that he's he's unapologetically, if even that's a word, um, British, but yeah. it's not like. You know when like you just see, oh, we'll just talk about tea and crumpets because we know Americans find that stereotypical of us and it plays to a stereotype. He doesn't necessarily do that. I think he kind of holds up a mirror to British culture, like yeah. as it is then. Like I remember just watching a scene for actually it was Attack the Block when there's this one bit where one of the kids just says, "I just want to go home and play FIFA." Summarized up most not millions only kids, of millions of millions England. of Brits, right? Yeah, yeah it's hard to think. His writing style is very much uh, a mirror of British society. On the nose, yeah. yeah, and he's very good at blending and like pastiching a lot of old genres and old movies. He's obviously a huge movie buff, and he harks back to a lot of old movies. Am I cleverly. right? Am I right in thinking that he was a big part of Hot Fuzz? Uh, Have I got that wrong? That's 
Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright. Yeah, I know, but I, I think he was involved. Anyway, we can look it up another time. But um, anyway, Joe Cornish's new movie does look incredible. And uh, yeah, we, we look forward to it in Joe We Trust. The next, um, the next big news item I want to talk about this week is amazingly how quick movie rights for people's obituaries, deaths, biopics, however you want to call it, come to light. So Hugh Hefner only passed away a week and a half ago and they already announced a biopic which apparently was in the works but the death has obviously propelled it to the forefront to be greenlit. Hugh Hefner's autobiographical movie coming out very soon and Jared Leto has been cast as the, the playboy himself. Yeah, it's predictably unpredictable, isn't it, for him? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what, what I'm interested in is that I'm, I've been doing a lot of research on Jared Leto recently, actually, and I was actually at an event where he was at Ooh. Not to name drop, but you saw um, him. I was from from a distance. Yes, young little emo Jared Leto. No, he had a beard, and he's, he? yeah, um, yeah. As I mentioned, I can't talk about it too much. But um, my current role, I work at the Business of Fashion, and we run an event called the Business of Fashion Five Hundred. It's like our version of the Forbes Five Hundred, the top five hundred people most influenced in the the fashion industry. Yeah. And Jared Leto is on that list, and he came to the gala. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, I was, I'm very much back a house staff. You don't, you don't, you don't see me with these people. It's very much just sort of hanging around and making sure the website's up to not date. Not yet, and... Flinty. Not yet, not yet. You might make the list one day. Who knows? Well, I, yeah, I, I expect to. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he's been cast as the the man himself. But what I find interesting about Jared Leto is he really gets under the skin of his characters. Like he's a proper method actor. Like you hear about the stuff he done for Joker to get into get into i suppose the mindset for that movie but um he doesn't just do that with he does it with every role so for his latest movie actually which we're going to probably review next week uh, the new blade runner movie he plays a character who's blind so jared leto went and hung out with blind people which you expect an actor to do to try and get under the skin of a character but he decided from a very early stage that he was going to not just go blind for the character during the scenes but go blind during the filming process what I mean by that is he never saw the staff. He never saw anyone. So on the day, he would get up from his trailer yeah. and he would put on these contact lenses yeah. that would block out his entire vision. Right. And then from that moment onwards, he'll be blind for the rest of the day. Oh so even God. when they weren't filming and like they were taking him on set, like he needed to be guided on set and like he never saw a camera. That's incredible. So what? how is he going to get under the skin of Hugh Hefner, I wonder? Is he going to spend like... Months in a mansion, having it off with blonde, young blonde ladies. I mean, it's a tough job. I can see why. Oh yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, Yeah. absolutely incredible stuff for how he gets under the skin of characters. So, um, although I don't really care about a biopic of Hugh Hefner, I mean, you know, insert where you feel about him in terms of is he a visionary for women's rights? Does he hold back the women's movement for? for a number of decades or is he just a sleazeball you know i the answer is probably somewhere in in between all those things but um yeah it's just amazing how quickly a death can propel a a movie project yeah, it's kind of weird i don't think it seems it feels like it wouldn't have happened with some people's deaths maybe hugh hefner is not as a beloved a character as some he's more an interesting character i think just because take away the sexuality part of it he launched a magazine it's been around for a very long time 
and it's been quite influential in modern culture. Mm. I think on that basis alone, it probably deserves a story to be told, whether that's just a book or whether that's a movie or a TV show or a documentary or whatever. So, you know, there, there's a story to tell. Mm. You know, and then you add in the layer of the, you know, obviously he's, his own sexual life, the uh, the whole concept of multiple girlfriends living with him and stuff like that. Although what I find interesting though is that when he died, like so many people like rest in peace Hugh Hefner and it's like I get it when Prince died I get it when David Bowie died because they might have influenced your life like you listen to their music you aspire to to be a creative person like they were I I can't think of the millions of people really wanting to tweet out rest in peace Hugh Hefner but, <laughs> but anyway you know you really touched my childhood yeah yeah, yeah you were you were the man Hugh you helped me see boobies when i was a teenager well okay for that basis alone <laughs> there we go in fact yeah you're right i i stripped that from the record but um so anyway yeah that's your news for this week streaming gems this is gonna be good for us jess really good that's a marriage isn't it working on the difficult things for better or worse let's go in get comfy for Streaming Gems this week, I want to review the latest outing by Stephen King's adaptation factory company. I've come to the conclusion, though, John, that I don't think Stephen King is one person. No, he can't be. Like, there's just so many books out there. Too I think many it, great films, books, it's just... I reckon it's just a pseudonym that publishers put together. Until I'm, I physically meet Stephen King, I refuse to believe you <laughs> exist, sir. But anyway, there's a film with your name attached to it uh, called Gerald's Game on Netflix. The premise of this film is that a couple in their middle a middle-aged couple going through some marital strife have booked a, a hidden away, I suppose love retreat as you want to call it, in a secluded forest where they go it looks like an an amazing charming place and they decide to spice things up in the bedroom. And what happens is and I'm not spoiling anything at this point. This you can find this out in the first 5 seconds or read the synopsis on Netflix. Basically during a let's just say a Fifty Shades of Grey bedroom moment where the the wife is handcuffed to the bed, Gerald decides well not decides to he has a heart attack and uh, passes out dead um, on his wife and unfortunately she is handcuffed to the bed and it goes from being a, a story about a couple trying to revive their marriage to a survival story. A really interesting concept. So what makes this? I mean it's an interesting premise already, but add that Stephen King flavor to it where over the time that she is attached to the bed she starts going through i suppose visions and episodes of of uh, insane moments throughout um, throughout the film the reason why it is so screwed up is because of and some of the visions she starts having she starts unearthing parts of her her history and childhood and i won't i won't go into much spoiler territory but let's just say it's effed up and um, what I find quite interesting about this film is it's very true to the book, apparently, and the book has been described as the last work of Stephen King that is completely unfilmable because it's very much an mon internal monologue. Yeah. It was the, film, uh, the book was created during Stephen King's drug-induced, crazed stage where he was writing amazingly weird stuff. And the director, I can't remember the gentleman's name, uh, I think it's Michael Flanagan, but um, anyway, he would carry the book with him for 20 years. He had the hardback book on him. Mm. And every time he would go into studios and they would say, pitch us an idea, he would always have that book with him in case he would have the opportunity to go, actually, I'd love to make this as a film. The studios would not touch it with a barge pole because of, A, the complex nature of the story that 
they go through with the with the wife as she's attached to the bed but also just because how are you going to film this it's just going to be one person strapped to a bed for two hours mm. you know how are you going to pull this off obviously netflix are really embracing the filmmakers and and they keep churning out hits at the moment so it's kind of they can't really do much wrong and even if they do get a flop i mean come on it's netflix they can afford to to take the hit but again they've got another hit i think i was generally scared by this film i watched it with my wife there was a couple of scenes that you know i'll be honest we both felt very uncomfortable but i won't go into spoilers as to reason why but watch the film and you'll kind of understand it and also maybe it's a 2017 thing but it's kind of this shared soundtrack thing going on where people are acquiring the rights to the same song. So you're hearing the same songs appearing in movies. One example is Country Road. That song has been in four blockbusters this summer, right? And I think that's great when you hear, I don't know, you hear Country Road in Lucky Logan and then you hear it in Kingsman the Golden Circle because they're both nice fluffy films. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy um, Volume 2 shares a song with this film, Gerald's Game. And the topic of what's going on in the background when this song is being played is a stark contrast. <laughs> and it is effed up. And, yeah, I think maybe film companies and directors should talk to each other to say, oh, by the way, your film where it's like a happy bit and is, mm. we're taking that song and doing something quite horrific in the background. I can't go without going into spoiler details, but just knowing that it, you, you will never listen to that song the same after this film. Oh, no going to ruin a song for us that sounds really interesting though really i'm in two minds whether to watch it i'm gonna to need to be in the mood i think for this one sounds like a, a hard piece to watch it puts you in the mood to watch it yeah. so we went along i mean I'll, I'll go into one detail as to and it's not it's not spoiler because you you'll see this in the promotional stuff when you click on the netflix um bit to, to play it or even show you some images from it um, at the start of the film there's a dog that follows the car as they're driving up to the house. The wife sees the dog and says, oh, he must be hungry. And the, the, the dude's like, nah, leave the dog alone. Anyway, while the, the dude's upstairs getting ready, getting dressed, she takes some food out to the dog and leaves the front door open just because it's a nice sunny day and in the middle of nowhere. Now, after Gerald's untimely demise, she remembers she's left the door open and there's a hungry dog out there. That all of a sudden adds a new dynamic to, to her situation. Mm. And the dog does get involved. And that's not the most effed up thing that you'll see in this film. So, yeah, it's, it's very much like a Stephen King novel. It, it brings you along for the ride and it doesn't just assume too much. Um, so it does it does bring you along that ride to get you into that place where you see the, the events that unfold. So don't necessarily avoid it. I mean, I, I'm going to definitely give it four out of five. It's a, it's a recommendation, I think. Um, the ending is very controversial with Stephen King fans as as a book mm. um, because of the angle it decides to play, um, especially with a particular character. But um, again, I won't go into the details. But I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. A must, if you've got a Netflix account, Like there's no excuse to not watch this film. Mm. It is very good. Is there anyone notable in the cast you want to shout out? So there's only really two characters you really see in this film. Now, the, the main guy, well, he's not the main guy, really. The main person is actually the wife, but the name, the, who the names, the film's named after, Bruce Greenwood is in it, who plays uh, Gerald, sorry. And 
the only way I can describe him is he's the dude who's in N- in NCIS a lot. And if you can't get Sam Neill, you seem to get this guy. He looks very similar to him. And Carla Guino, I think that's how you pronounce her name. She is an ab- she's an absolute revelation in this film. She really does go on a journey, her character. And she's yeah absolutely fantastic. I really enjoy her in, in pretty much everything I've seen her in. Um, she was in Watchmen. She was also in Sin City. And San Andreas with The Rock. There we go. There, it always comes back to The Rock. Maybe there's a... Maybe The Rock's the new Kevin Bacon in terms of degrees of separation in films. Maybe. But, um, so there you have it. Gerald's Game on Netflix. Highly recommend. Everything you need to survive from the beginning. You just have to remember. Back off! If you don't wake up, you're going to die. Right, so our feature this week is our favourite murder scenes or death scenes. We didn't uh, elaborate exactly what we were going to do, but I think we've gone with murders, right? I think mine are murders. I think technically, other than suicides in the films, like, and you did point out actually when I gave this point that what about old age? People do die of old age in films too, Adam. But um, yeah, I think it's. What about Benjamin Button? How did he die? Well, if you young what, age, if actually. you watch it in reverse, then he just kind of jumps back up. Anyway, no, that's that's stupid. I think the sort of premise for this is basically best rememberable deaths in a film. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to impact the storyline too much. Doesn't necessarily have to be the protagonist, but it's got to be something that you walk away from that film and either remember or has influenced your thoughts on the film. Is that fair? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I've gone with really memorable deaths. From- and. To be fair, all actors, like whenever you speak to actors or you you listen to podcasts or interviews with them, they all want a good death scene. Yeah. Don't they? Like that's their that's what that's what they really want to get their acting chops around. It reminds them of their last day of shooting sometimes. They're like, Ah, I got to go home that day. I died. Ah, yeah, true, true. Unless although, they film it. Although saying that, they do film stuff in weird orders. Yeah. Like and I I can't get my head around that. I'd love to I'd love to speak to a proper actor and say, How do you get your head around where you've got this chronological story in your head of how you start at point A and you'll get to point B and you go through that journey in between. So you've got to put yourself in that act, in that character that's got to go through that journey. But you've actually got to portray that in a weird order because of scheduling and, and maybe even parts of the story are still being tweaked and edited because nothing in Hollywood or you know in, in any walk of life from that perspective is always 100% nailed down to begin with. Mm. That's that's insane. So anyway, do you want to hear my, my first yeah. one? Yeah, what's your first one? Flynn? So this, and I'm sorry if this causes a bit of emotional distress here. <laughs> I'm going with Mufasa in The Lion King. Scar! Brother, help me! Yeah, I did not even think of that one. I thought you were going to say Bambi for a minute. No, no, that's no, a big no. One. no that, I think everyone says that. That's just they're sh- they're they're just posing. The yeah. Lion King. That's the one that really hurts. Mufasa, yeah, because we watched that when we were eleven. We were that prime age Stop where. Stop showing our age, John. We did not want to see a big, beautiful lion beast get t- tossed down to a wildebeest stampede. And it's just a manner of how it was done. Long live the king. And chucked in... Oh, man, that... It's, it's that, incredible. That was, and, yeah, and anyone who... I mean, I'm pretty sure in 2017 we can all realise that art expresses itself in many different forms. So anyone who says, I'm not watching that kid's film, watch it. Seriously, like, that's... that's who so, hasn't seen The Lion King at this point? Exactly, right? And that puts so much pressure on this remake they're doing at the moment. Yeah. 
get that scene right, come on. But, I mean, the fact that James Earl Jones was so influential in that movie, they've just recast him. They didn't even bother getting another voice actor. Why would you? Why, exactly, why <laughs> would you? So, yeah, I mean, and it, this is in no particular order, but when John said most memorable deaths, I was like, Mufasa, Lion King. Like, that's, that's definitely got to be in there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I've, I mean, my first one's going to be a big, cliched one, but I think... You want some murders feel amazing, right? You watch it and you're like, that has been coming and it's paid off, and I feel so good watching a man die. Kind of like, like Littlefinger in Game of Thrones when he, when it was, spoiler yes. alert, uh, when he when he met his untimely end. Well, it's not a spoiler with Game of Thrones because everyone dies eventually, don't they? It's fine, but um, yeah. So this is like the bit, the best payoff murder that in any film ever. I think Gladiator. Joaquin Phoenix, Russell Crowe at the end. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix has done so much to him. He's weakened him and Russell Crowe uh, still got the, the power to uh, t- tw- turn the knife around, twist it and put it in his throat and Joaquin Phoenix's fate. I've And I will put pay testament not to Russell Crowe but to Joaquin Phoenix for playing one of the most detestable villains in any film ever. I think his character in that film is... One of the best villains, I think, in a film. He just plays it so well. He's so convincingly abhorrent. Um, but he also shows shades of humanity, like a little boy almost. Like he's not, he's so in over his head. Yeah. He's like, he reminds me of Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but, but at least, yeah, but at least Whacking uh, Phoenix's character is like doing a, doing his job for his people to an extent. But anyway, that's, that's another, that's for the other podcast to talk about that one. Um, I completely agree. I think that's an amazing portrayal of that character. And I think it's maybe as you get older or maybe if you become a bit more of a film buff, you end up appreciating the villains in movies. Mm. Um, not necessarily because of the character arc they are, because, you know, let's face it, most of them just twirl a moustache and, and do something horrible for someone for shock value. But actually the portrayal of it by the actor and to the point where you emotionally hate that person. Yeah. Like, to the point where you could see him on the street and you think, I don't like that guy, I'm crossing the street. <laughs> Not because of anything to do with you as a person, but because of how you're portraying a character that I saw on screen. I can imagine, I keep going back to Game of Thrones for some reason, but um, the kid who plays Joffrey, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine like he's going to have such a shitty life. <laughs> Not because... He is going. He's obviously destined for great things. He's a great actor. Although apparently he's actually stepped away from acting at the moment, um, but I'm sure he'll be back. But just because he's done such a good job as Joffrey, people are just going to be like, "I don't like you." Imagine him applying for a loan, like he has yeah. to go into the bank. That's Joffrey. I ain't giving him a loan. Yeah. <laughs> I interesting you mentioned Joffrey because Joffrey. When I watched uh, Game of Thrones season, what was it? He's in the first few. Yes. Yeah. His. He looks like he took so much from that Joaquin Phoenix character in Gladiator. Yeah. It was so not uh, not in a more in a homage way than Definitely. ripped off. But I, it was interesting that you mentioned that because I think that was they play that character so well, both of them. But um, Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, great death. When great he twists death. it round, he's still got the strength, and it's and the crowd is silent after having seen what they've seen, which is unrealistic. I will say. That there would still be carnage if oh, yeah, uh, you yeah. watched the king do that. But um, yeah, great death. What's your next one, Flinny? So my next one is from Saving Private Ryan. I can't remember the name of the characters because actually they're not very big characters in the film. But there's a scene where a a American soldier has a knife fight with a German soldier, and they're trying to be quiet because both sides are, are, are taking over the this village. And I don't know if you remember the scene, but the, 
as this fight progresses, I think it's the German soldier slowly sticks the knife into the chest of the soldier, of the American soldier. And, I mean, this is Steven Spielberg, probably at his finest, where he's not necessarily doing the big spectacle, but just using silence mm. to really echo a moment. And it's just, I'll never forget that scene, the way the the fight happens between this American troop and this German soldier. And they both know they have to stay silent during this fight and how slowly the knife goes into the chest. And uh, sorry, I was mimicking the, the scene onto John, obviously in the medium of, of uh, audio, you can't see that. But that had such an impact on me. As, I mean, it's a great film, but that was... And I'm not really one for war movies, but that is so memorable for me. Yeah, that's a great scene. And it, you feel so much... You feel it more because of the silence and this genius piece of filmmaking. Um, my next one, I'm going to go back to Hitchcock because Hitchcock has so many great deaths in his movies. It would be rude not to point out my favourite. I have not gone with Psycho. That's the cliché... You know, the ultimate horror death scene that everyone knows with great music, perfect. But uh, have you ever seen Strangers on a Train? No, I haven't. It's I've a, heard really good things, though. It's a really interesting concept where two men me randomly meet each other on a train and agree to swap murders. Or one of them agrees, the other one thinks he's having a bit of a laugh because like, they both need someone taken care of. And uh, so they swap That premise murders. has been stolen for so many yeah, things. So many things. And uh, so, but the first death where he kills Miriam, um, the guy's ex-girlfriend or wife, uh, he obviously didn't really want him to kill him, but this guy's a little bit crazy. So he does this. And the, the scene is just incredible. He, uh, She's at a fairground with another guy and she's running around, frolicking, having fun. And she runs into him this dark shady man at a fairground he just says are you miriam she says yeah and then he strangles her and all you can hear is the carousel music going around doo, 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 yeah sort of, yeah uh, amazing scene and then her glasses fall to the floor and you watch the scene from the reflection of the glasses and uh, it's just a genius iconic piece of filmmaking that's been it's become the cliche it sounds cliche now but it was that the was first the, one yeah and the juxtaposition of the music with the strangling. And back then, I think they had to be a lot more careful. You can't show a really gruesome horror murder scene. It's too harrowing back then. So they had to be more creative. Power suggestion is definitely... First of all, I find that far more impactful anyway. But you're right, because of the nature of AD effects at the time, but also because of just the, the, the shock value is just too much to put on screen. Um, I generally enjoy... Have you seen Anthony Hopkins' Hitchcock movie? Um, it's a biopic. I, yeah, yeah. That is fascinating. And they really do emphasise a lot in the story that Hitchcock worked on the power of suggestion, definitely. And uh, yeah, really watch that film to get an understanding for how that, that man thinks. Good good shout. Very, uh, very. When you said Hitchcock, I was like, oh, he's going to go psycho. I'm going to go a bit cliche of my next one. I actually am going to pull one from Ridley Scott and used Alien, the, the oh, first yeah. chest buster scene. Um, I remember I was a... Uh, I can't remember how old I was. I, I got it on VHS. I think I recorded it off of ITV or something. It's always one of those ITV films at the time anyway, wasn't it? But um, yeah, that first scene where the aliens obviously impregnated into the gentleman's chest. They're eating, I think it was spaghetti at the table. And you might, if you if you uh, maybe not seen that film before and you're watching it now, you go, what's the, the shock value? The effects weren't particularly great and everything else. That was the first time an alien burst out of someone's chest. Maybe not 
ever in mainstream, you know, in mainstream cinema. But that's the one everyone knows about, and that had such an impact that it caused the franchise of movies, which unfortunately died a death a few years back. But Ridley Scott's managed to revive it with Prometheus and um, Alien Covenant. But nothing will ever be as impactful as that first time that happens. The the sounds, the anticipation, and ultimately the creature, which becomes the the villain of the movie. I thought it was absolutely fantastic and always i think that's a memorable death so that's one that's got to go be in there definitely definitely so i thought one of mine has to be a comedy death right because i'm a i love comedies obviously gotta pick one that's a little bit silly i thought about the guy on the titanic who falls and hits the boat ah. that's a good one ah, bang but <laughs> i'm not sure you class that as a murder but uh dumb and dumber when they're on the road ah uh, the burger uh, scene the burger that was scene. my next one damn you was it yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. i that's just one of the funniest funniest things i mean every scene in dumb and dumber for me is comedy perfection but um i i love that scene just everything about it the, uh... it's a great film actually I can't someone was telling me this I think my mate Michael last night was telling me this um, Jim Carrey had an amazing year that year yeah like he done The Mask Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber in yeah. the same year that's crazy isn't that's it? insane I mean I still got our comedy podcast which I know John was gutted about that he wasn't on I'm sure we'll we'll revisit that at some time there's not one Jim Carrey movie in the BBC's top 100 comedies. Oh, I was livid. I saw the list and I was livid, man. I couldn't believe it. And a lot of the films are arguably not comedies. It seems like a list that has been written by someone who doesn't like comedies. A film critic that doesn't <laughs> like comedies. But I'm going to pay homage to lots of old films. Oh, I'll put Some Like It Hot at number one, but I won't even mention Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was very a snooty list. It, that's what struck me. And a bit of a shame. But uh, there we go. So, well, there we go. We've, we've crossed over one scene. Can I... I thought of one, and I thought you're definitely going to say it, but I wonder if you are going to say it. Shall I guess? Go on, then. I thought... At least one of yours will be from Kill Bill. Oh, I was so... So I was going to go... Actually, I was... And it, it didn't get in the list um, purely because I had other stuff to put in. But yes, you are 100% right. And it was going to be Lucy Liu's character when she takes over as crime boss for the first time right. in that film. And she says uh, something along the lines of, does anyone have any objections? And someone joke, you know, stood up, made a a joke about her A being um, half American and B being a woman and the way she runs across that table and that extravagant knife flick that takes off the head and covers everyone in blood absolutely insane yes <laughs> you you know me too well yes I was going to put in Kill Bill but actually um, I thought this is kind of cheating this one but this film is so good and the premise of the whole film is pretty much murder you like Huey Lewis on the news? Yeah, they're okay their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. Basically, any death scene in American Psycho has got to be in there. Like, that is insane. But I'm going to go with the, the Huey Dewey... I can't pronounce the name. What's the name of the band? Huey Dewey and the News? Huey Lewis and the News. There we go. We got there in the end. We'll just edit that <laughs> out. Huey Lewis Huey Lewis. There's a scene where... Um, Christian Bale's character has locked him in his American apartment and everything's covered in plastic. 
And the dude's like, why is everything covered in plastic? And um, it's an amazing portrayal of this character. And Christian Bowd starts talking about how the song Hit to Be Square was wrote and you know the story behind that about how who we do in the Louis, you know, you know, put together the this soundtrack. And as he's doing that, he pulls out a baseball bat and just completely wows him and completely kills him dead. And that film is a complete piece of art. If you have a chance to watch it, please do. American Psycho, not for not for the faint of heart, but that death scene where the music is playing in the background from from Louis in the news. I'll get the name right one day. Um, Absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that concludes mine. I did just think of one more that really I found really harrowing, has always stuck with me. Uh, at the end of American History X, you know, the Edward, Ed Norton puts his uh, jaw on the curb. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, d- I, I, I don't even want to mention it because it still makes me cringe and it's just a horrible scene. I mean, it's... In in the context of the movie, it's a great scene, but oh yeah. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna do that one uh, to rub off the comedy murder, uh, a really harrowing one there for you. But I'll bring you back just with one honourable mention of the dude on the toilet in Jurassic Park. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta love a comedy death, even if it's in a kids' movie, basically about dinosaurs. It's not a kids' movie. That's that's a, that's a vision of the future, John. Right. So there you have it. Our our favourite deaths in films. Tell us your favourite. You can contact us, or you can contact myself at Adam Flint on Twitter, and at Descamento on Twitter. This week, I wanted to, to talk with John in the studio about another Stephen King adaptation. I went to the cinema about a week ago and saw It, the movie, um, based on the Stephen King novelization, but also the TV miniseries back in the early 90s. I had no idea that was a TV miniseries. I generally thought that was a film. Yeah, but you always thought that uh, clown image is from somewhere, something. It's quite iconic, isn't it? You've seen it before, Pennywise uh, as the clown. Yeah, so. I always thought it was a film, though. I didn't think it was. I didn't realise it was a TV show. Mm. But um, anyway, it's based on a... It's The book itself is a very long story, hence why the miniseries um, takes sort of two, two angles on this. They've broken it down into two films, Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. Chapter 1 has come out, obviously, recently, and... The premise, in case you're not aware of this, is that it's based in a small suburban town in America where every 27 years, kids go missing and presumed dead. And it's set in the 80s, this particular version of it. Uh, There's a specific reason why, which I'll go into in a moment. But basically, again, it's in in the late 80s. Kids are disappearing left, right and centre. A group of kids in high school, nicknamed the Loser Club, have cottoned on that something's not particularly right. And they're starting to have visions of this character called Pennywise, who is a demonic clown that lives off the fears of children, basically. Um, that's not too spoilery, is it? No, that's okay. No, I mean that is the premise of the film, and that's what you'd, you'd get if you if you've just read any synopsis really about that about that film. The cast, I got to say, is absolutely fantastic. Um, I can't remember any of them by name, but um, one of the kids from Stranger Things is in this film, and I can't help but think that when Stranger Things came out, this film was probably like very close to being uh, greenlit, mm. but they were like people like retro eighties horror films. 
and people are obsessed with this clown it well yeah let's just get one of those kids from Stranger Things and stick them in yeah, the film that was his audition right yeah pretty much <laughs> and I mean it's such a tribute to the film but I remember I was sitting I was like I feel like I'm watching just an, a, a real extended episode of Stranger Things to begin with and I know the the hypocrisy in that is because obviously Stranger Things was very heavily influenced by stuff like it yeah. and John and John Carpenter and things like that but um, I think it's just done so well the all the actors in this film are absolutely incredible the child actors that is very rare it's a, especially in modern cinema it was done a lot in the 80s and nine and early 90s to let the kids carry the script. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think Hollywood trusts children or child actors anymore in films to allow them to to be the, the real protagonists. Yeah. Well, with good reason sometimes, because let's be honest, there's not a lot of great child actors. No, no. And... But in the 80s, there was a, a lot. You know, when uh, Drew Barrymore and that sort of... Josh Brolin? Yeah, they right? were all come of age and were doing great movies, so... When I think maybe we're 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 gonna because of this film we might end up going back into that sort of renaissance of of pioneer child actors but yeah the cast absolutely done an amazing job and Pennywise who uh, scared the absolute crap out of me now the first scene of the film is uh, based around uh, a little boy called Georgie who uh, you know spoiler alert doesn't make it out the scene but it's the first scene in the TV show it's the first bit in the book as well so it's not not going too spoiler on that. Um, basically chases his little paper boat down a stream as it's raining and it's they recreates uh, almost word for word the first scene in the TV movie where Pennywise is in the drain and just like oh I've got your boat kid but the portrayal done this time round is so much more creepier like mm. it's really building on the psychological impact I think it influence obviously the the remake but I think the director went down the psychological route a lot more cool and I think there's and also it, it plays on uh, budget horror as well like it, it plays on the strands as well there's one scene in particular when you kind of you kind of think in the background sort of breaking the fourth wall and think how are adults not noticing these kids or putting joining the dots that every yeah. 27 years a bunch of kids die and it's just like people don't really care they'll put up a missing poster but then you find out that Pennywise isn't just a scary demonic clown he's an influencer like he's always listening in people's ears he's always uh, trying to throw people off the scent of what's going on mm. and there's one scene in particular when the the one of the the female entity I suppose in the losers group she uh, has an experience in a bathroom where Pennywise attacks her and the whole bathroom's covered in blood she's dripping with blood she's screaming the dad comes in and he can't see the blood and it's not like in most modern horror modern horror movies they would do some form of cutaway where they'll show the room not having any blood in it or they'll show some form of special effect where the dad obviously cannot see the blood but they didn't do that he just pretended he couldn't see the blood anywhere hmm. and that was something that they would have definitely done in the 80s but they will that is a type of uh, a film style they would not have done in in modern times just because people would always now you've got you got to show the audience exactly yeah you, know, you can't let, let them imagine anything so i thought that was that was really good and what i found a bit because i had to do a bit of research after this film because i never saw the tv movie end to end i just saw elements of it i think if you've never seen the tv show or never read the book you might be a little bit confused with some elements i think the film does lean a bit too much into the 
the legend or the legacy of the it franchise for you to understand what's going on so that was a bit of a misstep from that perspective but anyway the reason why they've set the film in the 80s is because ironically next year when the sequel comes out would be exactly 27 years from where the first film is set to the modern day and they'll be recasting a lot of the characters as right. adult form to to go on the second chapter of the movie right oh that's so they've set it up really nicely yeah definitely there was always a, a plan here by the way there is no post credit scene so don't don't sit around in the cinema and wait like i did <laughs> but um, but yeah so my review is i'm gonna give it four out of five uh very similar to to gerald's game but um in terms of scoring but very separate movies from that perspective highly recommend to go see go see it in cinema i was very fortunate that i saw it in an empty cinema at a very late time so i was absolutely petrified during this film and do not take anyone with you who is afraid of clowns not just because pennywise is fucking scary but actually there is a massive clown scene which if anyone is scared of clowns they will be running out of the cinema brilliant okay i'm gonna watch it so much for taking the time to listen to us if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to listen to more like it please click on the subscribe button just figure out how to use it through the app because i'm sure it's changed again you'll be fine trust but you can find me on twitter at adam flint and at descamento next week we're going to be going into quite a bit of spoilerific detail well potentially spoilers anyway on the new blade runner movie it came out last week it is getting rave reviews I recommend watching the original film if you do get a chance before you check out our next podcast because we will be going into details and referring back to that as well. Cool. All right, till next week. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.